And, and as we do this, as I said, I wanted to talk about our coronavirus policy. I wanted to wait till I was on uh, the sermon block so it would be uh, recorded along with the message. So uh, basically, I think if, if you got the email, you saw it on Facebook, it's this. If you, if you feel sick, stay home. If you feel like it's wiser for you to stay home, then stay home. The first time I sent it out, I said, if you're afraid, stay home. And, and somebody took offense. They thought I was, it was a put down. I didn't mean it to be a put down. I wasn't trying to say, you know, you're chicken. <laughs> I was trying to say, you know, if you're afraid of getting the virus, then stay home. Uh, and so uh, do that. Wash your hands. We have the Purell thing there. We put new batteries in it yesterday. I have, for, I have Purell now twice in my life. <laughs> uh, if, if you don't want to shake hands, don't. I'm going to try really hard because I've, I've got this instant instinct reflex, especially at church, to throw my hand out. I'm going to try really hard not to do that. If you throw your hand out, I will shake your hand, <laughs> right? If you do the, uh, put your fist out for fist bump, I'll fist bump. If you do the chicken wing thing, I'll do that. And if you just walk right by, I'll just try not to be offended, <laughs> okay? Uh, we want to treat you like uh, adults in America, you know? I'm sorry, but like, you have a choice to do what's right in your own sight. I think that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and so recognize that by being here, you are risking exposure to the coronavirus, more so than if you weren't here. And, and uh, so you're just taking that in your own hands. And, and I think what most of us are saying is, I don't feel like I uh, am afraid of this, or I feel like I'm in a category where if I get it, I won't pass it on. I mean, I won't, uh, it won't affect me badly, uh, which is true for most of us. Uh, you're wise enough and, and mature enough to make your own decisions that for yourself and your kids. Uh, and, and that is essentially where our policy comes from, where, where we, you know, we, we talk this through. Uh, as far as Awana goes, like I said, I don't know. But uh, if, if for those who choose to stay home, good for you. That's your responsibility to make that choice. For those who choose to come here, good for you. Uh, that's your, your freedom that you have. We will, we will not close. Okay, we will be here. If it's if I get sick, I'll stay home, and someone else will have to be up here. But otherwise, you know, we will be here. I will be here. We'll have church. We had church once with about six people when it was huge snowfall on a, I think it was Christmas Day, and it was Sunday. And and uh, anyway, uh, we will have church. We will give you that option as much as we can. So with all that said, if you'd like to open your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter three, uh, we have this this message. Servants of the same master. And, and as we start thinking about that, I, I want to talk about old sayings. You know, old sayings or old wives, not old wives' tales, but, but old sayings, adages is another word. They get to be old sayings because there's a lot of truth in them. If there was no truth in them, they wouldn't last and they wouldn't become old sayings. So, so we recognize that, that while they may not be as true as Scripture, old sayings have a lot of truth in them. So let me run these two old sayings past you. First is, Opposites attract, and the second is birds of a feather stick together. <laughs> okay, and, and hopefully you see that there's a problem because these two old sayings seem to contradict themselves, and yet they stuck around because there's a lot of truth in them. And the reality is, is, is which is true? Well, they're both true. So which is truer? Well, they kind of are both truer. Opposites attract and, and, and birds of a feather stick together. They, they both seem to be true. And, and what we find is as opposite as they sound, they're not opposite. They're, they're actually complementary. Uh, the the s exact solution isn't exactly there, but, 
but uh, we see that there's, there's truth to both. Well, same thing in a church, and not only in a church, in the church. But in, in this church, there are things that bring us together here because of our similarities, that birds of a feather thing, but there's a lot of differences between us. And that's, some of that is, is the opposites attract where we are stronger because we're together. So uh, I'm going to introduce this or continue introducing this message on, on serving together because that's what it's about with illustrations from marriage. Uh, and, and I've got my mar- and some things from my marriage counseling book that I use. And, and it has this question. It says, when you marry, this is, this is the whole quote, when you marry, do you end up marrying someone who is your opposite or someone who is similar? The answer is yes. <laughs> it's both. Uh, and so it's, it's saying, we marry someone who is different from us, but someone who is like us. And there's this combination of those two that gives us that attraction to each other, both similarities and differences. Billy and Ruth Graham were married for 63 years before Ruth died in 2000, I think it was 2007. Uh, they were married from, for 63 years, and here's a quote from Billy Graham sometime during that, while she was still alive, uh, about marriage. He said, Ruth and I don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a good one. In a perfect marriage, everything is always the finest and best imaginable, like a Greek statue. The proportions are exact, and the finish is unblemished. Who knows any humans like that? <laughs> For a married couple to expect perfection in each other is unrealistic. We learned that even before we were married. The unblemished ideal exists only in happily ever after fairy tales. I think there is some merit to the description I once read of a married couple as happily incompatible. Ruth likes to say, if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. <laughs> The sooner we accept that as a fact of life, the better we will be able to adjust to each other and enjoy togetherness. And what we find there is, is, is and we're not in Scripture now, we're just talking about illustrations, but, but that we have permission to be different. We have permission to be our fallible selves and be part of the body of Christ and to serve. But we're going to move from marriage to servanthood, and, and we're, here because we're here at this church because of our similarities. We are valuable because of our differences. Right, uh, and, and that's not hard to say. If we just talk about that for a little bit, it becomes really obvious. If every one of us wanted to be up here, uh, we'd have problems at the church. If everyone wanted to serve in the nursery, we'd have problems as a church. If everybody ran back to fight over who got to do the dishes after, after potluck. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> but it's a nice thought, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, uh, so, so uh, we're valuable because of our differences, and, and we are fools. Here, here's where the trouble comes in, is when we start thinking the people who, are, who fit my category are the most valuable ones. We're the ones who make the church work. We're the ones who are most important. If other people were more like us, and those people who do that, they're only doing that to get out of this real work, or they're only doing that because they don't want to do what's important. Or because, and we can start putting people down, and we can start uh, becoming angry, and we can start arguing over these things. What we need to remember is that the servant does the job he's been given by the master, and nobody else has a say in that. The servant answers to the master. And if the servant does a good job, it's the master who gets the glory. Uh, today we're going to see first that we are servants. Then we're going to see that any results we get from our service is God's doing, not ours. And then finally we're going to see that we don't answer to each other, we answer to God. So chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, verse 5. Starting at verse 5, I'll read through verse uh, 9. 
What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So the first thing we see is, is we are servants. What is Paul? What is Apollos? We are servants. This is the same issue. This division is the same issue we listed in, or open, looked at first in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 12, it's uh, chapter 1, it says that people are divided. Some are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and others, I am of Christ. And here he's whittled the, 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 the issue down to just two, Paul and Apollos. And we don't know why. I think there's some really good reasons for simplicity's sake. It's a lot easier to make his comparison and his point if he only mentions two. So simplicity-wise, it might be he, he went down to two. It might be because this is where the greatest division are. As I understand this, Paul was the guy who came in and planted the church, and Apollos is the pastor who came in behind him. Now, I don't know that's the true, true answer, but it seems to be. Apollos was a skilled, gifted orator. He was the young guy who came in. He was the good speaker. He was eloquent. Paul, on the other hand, he came in, he planted the church, but he was not a gifted speaker. He was not eloquent. He was not impressive in what he did. And it's not hard to see people divided over the two of them. Man, I still go back to Paul. We used to have a, he, this, this is a wonderful saint with the Lord now, Gene Lewin. Some of you may remember Gene. Gene was fun. He was an evangelist. He would, he would uh, come in and he would preach and he would, he would he, he, everything's about the gospel. And he was so much fun in the way he would do things. I remember him walking down to a, a high schooler and he's talking about kids and, and, and sexual issues and temptation. He says, you know what your problem is? You're dumber in a box of rocks. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there and, and the kids loved him and I, every, we just laughed our heads off. Uh, but what I found out was Gene was a great visiting speaker. But you didn't want him too much because <laughs> he was just too much. People got tired of him. And you find his strength was that evangelism. He was the church planter kind of guy. Uh, there's another guy. You know, I am the kind of guy. I'm not a church planter. I don't go in and plant a church, but, but I'm a waterer. You know, I come in. The church is there, and I come in. I couldn't plant a church. I wouldn't know how to do it. I couldn't go about it. John could do it. He's the kind of guy. He goes out. He's out in front of everybody. He's big. He's bold. He, lets, he likes to go to the school and hang out with the kids in the lunchroom. It's like the last thing I want to do. Double my pay. I'll give half of it back because I don't want to have to do that. I don't like that kind of thing. It's like, no, I don't. I don't. It's like, I love Awana where I do what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to walk and have all these little kids come in and glom on to me. You know, to me, that just feels like, uh, okay, what can I do now? <laughs> it's like, I don't. Anyway, differences in people, different strengths, different purposes, different things you accomplish. Uh, the distinction between these guys are pretty easy to see. By the way, Paul is old and Apollos is young, <laughs> uh, among the different things. Uh, and, and we find that the, the differences between these guys, that might be what brought it to bear, is, is the differences between them are so clear, and maybe they are where the actual division is coming from. Maybe the issues of I am of Cephas and I am of Jesus, because we're all of Jesus, uh, weren't that big of an issue, but the two biggest issues were Paul and Apollos. We, we don't know, but we do know people were arguing and dividing over these leaders and, and which one they followed and which one they claimed. And Paul's answer is, hey guys, we're just servants. We are servants through whom you believed. God gave us a job to do, and we did the job God gave us. But it was just the job. We did the job. 
We are not competing with each other. We are functioning together in different ways to accomplish the same purpose. We are working for the same job. What are you going to do? Argue over who's better, the butler or the maid? I love the picture Ben put on the front of our bulletin. It made me think of, uh, anybody remember this? Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. I think it's Doris Day and, what's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I hear when I see this picture. It's just like, wow. And, and it's competitive serving. <laughs> you don't argue over the butler and the maid. It's like if you're going to argue about who has the better job, the butler or the maid, I want the chauffeur. You know? Not only I mean, are you, the, the driving part, that's, but think of the cars that you're driving. I mean, you're not driving a Ford. Not, nothing against Fords. I've got my Ford. I'm happy with my Ford. But, but you're driving uh, rich people's cars, you know? You're, you're driving the rich guy in his rich people cars. And he says, no, let's take the Rolls today. No, I feel more like the Beamer. No, no, let's take the, you know, and, and the Bentley or, you know, whatever it is. Be the chauffeur. If you're going to pick, argue over which one's the best, it's the chauffeur that wins. Come on. But each one does the job he's given to the best of his ability. And the chauffeur doesn't do the dishes. Right? And the maid doesn't dust the car. And the butler, I don't know what butlers do. They run the thing, I think. Uh, but each one does the job he's done to the best of his ability, and the estate runs well. And they don't criticize each other like, man, uh, that butler, my job's so much better than his. Of course not. They're working together to accomplish the same overall purpose. And Paul and Paulus, they serve as they have opportunity. Listen to what he says. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. That opportunity is the opportunity to serve. And as God opens up opportunities, we do the job we've been given. The chauffeur is given the opportunity to drive those classy cars. The butler is given the opportunity to manage the household. And we are given opportunities to serve. And we serve, we take them, and as we take them and we serve well, the job is done, God is glorified, but he's the one who gets the praise because he did it. I, I, I was in awe Wednesday night after the, the Grand Prix. Because as near as I could tell, it worked really well. And I, and I, was, I was sitting there looking, because we had Dwayne and Becky and, and Jen were in the back there running our pit crew. And we had Janice and, uh, I forget who, oh, Lexine in there doing registration. And we had, I'm not sure how many people we had working in the kitchen. And we had John up here starting. We had Tyson down there managing the whole thing and doing the announcing. And, and, and. It just went, there were so many people. Then there's the, the regular Awana workers who are hurting the kids. It takes a lot of hurting at the Grand Prix. And, and it went well, and it was fun, and I think God was glorified. So many people worked together, and so many of them were doing it without actually being asked. Because uh, there, there's a few key spots I want to make sure are covered, and I trust the others are going to fill in. And they did. They filled in really well. So many people doing so many jobs to make it work, and God gave the opportunity, and you served. That's exactly what he's talking about, serving as God gives the opportunity. And, and whatever we do and whatever God does with it, in the end, we are just servants. That's all we are. We are servants serving him. And if someone believes that, that if someone believes, believes in Jesus Christ because of what we do, then we are a part of that. Whether we are doing the speaking part or not, whether we are sharing the gospel directly, whether we are witnessing or not. Out at camp, one of the biggest jobs there are out at camp is working in the kitchen. 
Working in the kitchen is hard work, long work. Very often it's very hot work, right? And these ladies, and sometimes a, a guy or two, will go back in there and, and work in that kitchen all week long or sometimes multiple weeks long. That is a hard job. And, and, and you can easily think, well, I didn't do much at camp. I just worked at the kitchen. Well, speaking as a guy who does get to be the speaker a lot and a guy who gets to, to give the message and see responses, which is really an awesome privilege, I praise God for the kitchen crew. I praise God for the cooks and those kids washing the dishes because camp wouldn't work without them, right? Uh, it's all part of the same thing. We're working for the same goal. And if I get any credit for what I do, then they are going to get as much credit from God for what they do because they are every bit as much a part of it as the speaker or the cabin leader or the, the wrangler or who, you know, whoever else. There's so many jobs out there. Everybody does a part of it. And if your part was in the kitchen or starting cars or sharing the gospel uh, at the, the, the thing, you did your part in accomplishing God's service. We are just servants. There's no point for arrogance or arguing or uh, uh, what do you call that when you're Pecking order, yeah, looking for a pecking order in that. Verses 6 to 7 is God that gives the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Uh, and, and he's just saying, you know, God does this. He says, I planted, Apollos watered. And that's a really good picture of what they did. Because Paul planted, he was the evangelist. You know, Jesus said, the sower sows the seed. And he went out and he went into Corinth when there was not a church in Corinth. And he started preaching the gospel. He goes to the synagogue, he preaches the gospel until they run him out of there. And he continues preaching the gospel. And, and, and uh, people are hearing the gospel and people are coming to him. And a church gets planted. But Paul is not the kind of guy who's going to stay there because he's, he's, he's a uh, tumbling tumbleweed. He's a rolling stone. You know, he's, he says, man, I was here. For, he was in Corinth for a year and a half. That was like a lifetime for Paul. He, the only other place he stayed that long was Ephesus. Every place he goes, he goes, he preaches, he goes, he preaches, he goes, he preaches, he goes, he preaches. Most of them ran him out of town. Corinth, they weren't good enough running people out of town, I guess. So he stayed there for a year and a half. And, and, and uh, finally says, guys, I'm going. I can't stand this anymore. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and, and make a visit over there and take an offering because they need money. And I'm going to go help them. And so who comes in? Apollos comes in and he's, he's the guy who stays. Right? He's the guy who comes in and he finds the church planted. And it's something that he can do. Paul did the part he is good at. He's the evangelist. Apollos comes in. He doesn't plant. He waters. He fertilizes. Right? He tends the thing that has been planted and helps it to grow strong and healthy to the best of his ability. Right? He, and so the, the description used to describe them, I think, is very accurate. One plants, one, one, one uh, waters. Fertilizes. I, I, I add the fertilizing just because it, you know you get a lot of BS. I'm sorry from up here. <laughs> one waters, one fertilizes. They both do what they can, but can either of them make a plant grow? The answer is no. You know the farmer goes out. He he plants his seed in the ground. You know we we happen to live. It, it, it's best for the illustration here because we live in dry land farming area where where you don't irrigate. And, and so he puts that seed in the ground and hopes the rain's going to come. But if we were in another place where you did irrigate, you know, he plants, he irrigates, he fertilizes, he does what he can to keep the bugs away, he does what he can to keep the disease away, but still, he can't make the seed sprout. God does that. We just watch and go, wow. 
what is God, God, what God does, how faithfully we can rely on him. And, and that's what Paul is acknowledging here. He, said, he says, this is what they did. And, and the thing is, is, Paul and Apollos did not resent each other. They didn't go around and, and oh man, I planted this church. Why are you getting all the pay? You know, these people owe me. No, it's not you. you know, yeah, that doesn't work. Instead, I'm, I'm very sure Paul was glad to have someone like Apollos to leave that church with. Because Paul didn't stop loving the church when he left. He didn't stop caring. He was glad to know that he had, was able to leave them in good hands. And I'm really sure Apollos, when he came in, was very glad that that church was there, that he was able to come there and minister there and preach the word and make a difference to them. I'm glad he had that church established when he came in. And I think there was a policy, uh, a possibility that there was some envy at this time, but I don't think it was sinful. Uh, I see myself, as I said, as more of an Apollos than a Paul. Uh, I'm not a church planter. I'm a waterer and a feeder, not, not, not the planter. And I, but I, and I look at guys who are good evangelists, and a lot of times they go, man, I wish I could do that. A lot of times I go, I wish I was more like that. I finally learned that God made me what I am. And I was, there, there's a certain amount of envy, but I don't think it's a sinful envy. It's not like bitterness. It's not sour grapes. I finally prayed for God to send an evangelist. <laughs> you know? it's, like, it's like if I can't be the guy, then God send us some, somebody to, you know, to be that guy, the, the out there person, and, and he's done it more than once. Uh, and and uh, I know this. I would be a fool to resent the evangelists who do what I can't do because we need them. And, and, and I am not the body of Christ. I am one little piece of the body of Christ. Well, actually, I am the big mouth of the body of Christ. But God is the one who causes the growth. And we do what we can to serve God. Uh, we train. We learn skills. We learn techniques. We spend time. We spend money. We spend effort. And when we see the results, we go, oh, man, I did a good job. Of course not. We say, wow, God has blessed. If, if you have ever been a part and seen someone come to Christ, you, I, have, at least I have never known anybody to pat himself on the back. Man, I did a good job bringing that person to Christ. <laughs> you are so blessed and so in awe of what God has done, that God is using, that God would use such a person as you. We give him the praise for what he's done. And then verses 8 to 9, we find, find it, our reward is not from each other and not in getting opinions or high fives from each other but from God. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the way, that verse 9, I am going to repeat again next week because it fits, fits both sides. But First, uh, and understand this, uh, the one who plants, this is what he's saying. First, and understand this, the one who plants and the one who waters are one. Now, depending on your version of the Bible, it may say, have one purpose. I looked, NIV says, have one purpose. New Living Translation says, work together for the same purpose. And that's really good, but it literally, the, the literal Greek says, are one. The one who plants and the one who waters are one. Which is kind of interesting grammatically, because I think it should be is one, <laughs> if you're going to do that. But, but we see this, this the, the two are one. This, it's, it's like, they are not divided. They are one. And I think that's the way to think about it. They're not divided. They are unified. They are together. They are not in opposition. My brain gets a little fuzzy when I work with phrases like that, trying to figure out exactly what it means. But I think we can be safe with they're not divided. We are not two teams playing against each other uh, for a result. We are the same team. You know, it happens on football teams that the, the offense and the defense can sometimes form a kind of rivalry and get hostile against each other. It shouldn't be that way. 
They should be on the same team. In a church, right, different people are involved with different ministries. There's no competition between that. We, there, there should be a gratitude and a sense of blessing that we have those people who can do those things doing those things. And then we have those other people who can do those things doing those things. And there's no room for, for disagreement or, or, or opposition between those things. We are working together for the same end and the same result. We are united. We are a composite one. That's the phrase for it. That's, by the way, the phrase for God, to, to describe God, the Trinity, three in one. He is a composite one. So when it says in the Old Testament, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The word one is the word for a composite one, one that is made up of more than one, like a corporate one, okay, or a community one. Uh, we, are, we are one, and, and, and it's kind of interesting to see that comparison that, that God is described the same way. And it says, each receives his reward according to his labor. And it doesn't say, his, say that. It says, each one receives his own reward according to his own labor. And we move away from the division, from the, from the we're, we're one thing to a divided thing. Where are we divided? In the reward we see. And this is really fascinating when you think about it. The reward is not according to the results we get. The reward is according to the labor we do. In other words, we're not if you are a gifted evangelist and, and you go out and you start sharing the gospel and people start coming to Christ in droves around you, but you're lackadaisical about it, <laughs> and another guy is not a gifted evangelist, but man, he tries. Okay, God is not saying, well, this is the one I care about because he's getting the results, because God's the one who gifted him. God instead, he looks at the labor. How do I know that? Look at what he says. So, so then the one who, wa uh, verse, verse 8, uh, now he who waters and he who plants, or he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We don't gain rewards according to our results. We gain rewards according to our labor. And we cannot control our results. We cannot make the results happen. No more than the farmer can make the seed sprout. Right? We cannot make results happen, but we can control the effort we put into trying. And we do want to put in good effort for good results. That just makes sense. It's the way it works. Uh, God's standard is not that we are successful, but that we are faithful. One of the churches in the seven churches of Revelation, he says, I know you that you have little strength. And then he goes on and praises them because they're faithful, and he finds nothing wrong with that church. And sometimes I wonder if the modern church as a whole isn't that church with little strength. I feel like, I feel like we put out a lot of effort and, and our results are relatively small. Uh, I'm thinking like, man, I want to see, see Billy Graham numbers come in. You know, I want to see thousands of people, hundreds of people, dozens of people, people, <laughs> you know, responding, coming to faith in Christ. We don't see a lot of that. And I'm going, for the amount of effort we put forth, shouldn't we see more results? Well, maybe we're the church with little strength. I don't know. I mean, we do see results. We see children coming to Christ at Awana. I'm always a little bit hesitant because um, I've seen too many of those kids after they grow up. I've been doing Awana for more than 30 years. And I see, I see too many of these kids after they grow up. And I'm going, I know that child made a decision for Christ. I remember that child causing trouble at school for bringing her Bible <laughs> when the school said she shouldn't. And then, and then I see the child now and I'm going, what happened? And so uh, I fear, even with the results we see, we don't have a lot of confidence in them. Uh, but that's not, that's not we, we have made our effort. We've done what we can. If we put forth the effort, God is pleased with us. I think it's an important thing to hang on to. So first, we don't gain our rewards according to our results. But second, our reward is from God. 
each one will receive his own reward uh, according to his own labor, um, and that's from God. God that we, you know, I love attaboys. I, I don't know how much you like attaboys. I like attaboys. You know, I, they call it the glorifying of the worm. <laughs> when, when you walk by and fist bump the guy, <laughs> or chicken wing him, uh, bump elbows, or, you know, a handshake at the end, you say, good sermon. I mean, they call that the glorifying of the worm because the preacher is the worm. It's God's word that does the blessing. Uh, and, uh, and it's kind of fun. I like that phrase. It's a good keep you humble phrase. Uh, but I like it. I mean, I'm, I'm human. I like to hear good job from you. But aside from the fact that it gives me a little bit of an emotional bump, I'm sorry, it's not worth anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything in terms of what really matters. What really matters is that one day you will hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yeah. That's what matters. We will receive our reward from God. It is his praise that matters. It is his uh, reward. Man's praise is, is, is attaboys. We like them. But it's God's praise that matters. So when we look at the body of Christ, we, we share a lot of similarities. And, and when I say the body of Christ, I specifically am mostly thinking of uh, you know, at this church because we are the church where we are rubbing and bumping shoulders with each other and, and, and standing up against each other side by side in different work, uh, different projects, different, different uh, things we're doing. And, and so we are the ones that, that this is immediately addressing. But it goes outside these walls, and, and we're not in competition with people in other church buildings either. It's one of the standard rules of churches is we don't compete with each other. Really interesting thing, uh, the body of Christ does not grow when one church grows because people come to it from another church. Right? If, 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 if all of a sudden three churches shut down and we got 20 new people at this church, the body of Christ has not grown that much. It simply shifted weight, <laughs> which sometimes is not a good thing. Right? The body of Christ doesn't grow that way. The body of Christ grows when people come to him and are saved. Uh, and so we're not in competition that way. We are in competition to save souls, not to beat other churches, or, or to put down other churches, or to be better than other churches. Uh, we worship God. We have, we, we, within this body, we have similarities of faith. Right? We worship the same God in much the same way. I say much the same way because there are some differences. Some people are up here singing, and some people are back there standing like this. <laughs> and I've gone to come to people who, on occasion who, who stand there like this, and I go, man, why weren't you singing? I was. I didn't see your lips move. Yeah, I was singing. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen it. I've done it. It's, it's true. I, uh, I, I mean, it's a true statement. I've, I've seen it. So, so when I say we all worship the same, uh, we, we worship the same God in much the same way. Not exactly the same way, but much the same way. We read the same Bible. Even if it's different versions, we're reading the same Bible. Uh, we choose the same group to fellowship. We have a lot of similarities here. We all have differences. We have different callings, different strengths, different character, different gifts, different personalities, and so on and so on. And that is a fantastic thing. When God, when God does a puzzle, you know, uh, you get a, a thousand-piece puzzle to put together. You, you, you can, you, you, the first thing you do is you look for the outside pieces, unless you do it wrong and work from the inside out. That's wrong. Because <laughs> everybody knows the way to do it is the outside in. But uh, you, you're looking for pieces with similarities. 
but they're not all the same. But you notice the puzzle pieces have certain similarities. There are different types of pieces. And so you start looking for a piece. You go, I want a red and white one with two ins and one out, <laughs> or three ins and two, one out, two ins and two outs. Uh, I want, I, you know, it's, that's the way I do it. I, I, have, the, you know, I have this language in my brain. Uh, and, I, and I'm looking for the piece that fits that description. And there's similarities, but they're not the same. You can't fit one in the difference. In the puzzle God has made with us, this is a billion piece puzzle that he's put together. And, and it only works when we allow ourselves to be what we're supposed to be and fit where we're supposed to fit. And, and it's not a competition. It's not a competition. It is a fitting together the way God intends us to fit together. Okay? The this does not cause us to compete. It causes us to work well together. And so let us not be so foolish as to be in competition with each other. Uh, because we are faithfully, if we're doing it right, we're faithfully serving the same master. By the way, we don't all necessarily have the same opinion. Uh, some people are here today saying, I ain't afraid of no coronavirus. Other people are not here saying, you know what, I don't want to get the coronavirus. I don't want to be foolish. And they, they may think we're all fools, and we may th think they're all fools. I don't know. It, but the point is, is that uh, each one is doing what is wisely best in their own opinion. Uh, there is no room for judgment on that. And, I, and I, want, I, I feel like that's a timely thing, an important thing to say on a day like this. Uh, the last time, or the first, one of the first, I know I'm just, at this point I'm just, uh, <laughs> I have four minutes. Okay. <laughs> first issue I ever dealt with uh, of any controversy at Trinity Bible Fellowship, any social controversy, was where people were going to send their kids to school. Everybody was asking us, where, where are you going to send your kids to school? I had no idea there was an issue with that. Because we came from Spokane, where nobody paid attention. But when you come to the small town, everybody pays attention. and people Homeschool was not much of a big deal back at that point, but there was this big deal between Christian Heritage and Davenport. And, and, people, and I, I didn't understand when people were asking us, where were we going to send our kids, that they cared. They wanted to know because their side was right, and they thought the other side was wrong. And the first issue I ever dealt with, social issue, was when I stood in front of this church, I said, butt out. It's not your business. Each parent is responsibility, has a responsibility for what you, how you educate your own children. It is between you and God and what you decide before him. You make your decision wisely uh, according to the best of your knowledge, and that's your business. And, I, and, and that has, by, by the way, never become an issue here again <laughs> since then that I'm aware of. I feel like everybody has navigated that really well. Well, it's that kind of issue with the, with the, the uh, coronavirus. Is, is butt out, it's not your business what somebody else decides to do. Okay? You do what you believe is wise and right. Okay? Faithful before God. And let other people do what they do. Because you know, we all have our own makeup. And we're going to do, if we do what we believe is right before God, then we're doing what's right before God. So that's kind of a strange ending to this. But I had those four minutes, so I took them. <laughs> let's, let's bow in prayer. Father God, I ask you for, uh, for wisdom. I ask you for, for uh, faithfulness, and mostly I ask for obedience. Father, let each one of us serve you well and faithfully to the best of our ability as you give opportunity. Father, we pray, we do ask for results. Lord, we know all you ask for is faithfulness, but we do ask for results. We want to see that our labor is productive. We want to see that not only are we sharing the gospel, that people are receiving the gospel, that not only are we watering and, and fertilizing, but that the, the, that the, the result is growth discipleship and training is faithfulness and a walk with you. Father, I pray that you give us that blessing. But most of all, I pray for faithfulness and righteousness in our relationships with each other. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.